Good morning. This morning's reading is from the first letter of John, chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we uh, want to continue making much of you this morning, um, guided by the proclamation of your uh, life-giving, abiding, uh, holy, transforming word. And God, I pray that um, by your strength and kindness, you would allow me to um, uh, accurately, uh, by the power of the Spirit, um, proclaim uh, this section of Scripture. And I pray, God, that you would be glorified. I pray that the body would be edified. God, I pray that even as I'm, the words are coming out of my mouth, God, I pray that you would um, change and transform me. God, I pray that you would um, shine uh, the light of your word uh, by your spirit into my heart and that you would reveal uh, blind spots, uh, places, uh, Lord, that, uh, that uh, I have yet to uh, trust you with or have yet to submit to you. And God, I pray that for each of us here. God, this is uh, your word, and I pray, God, that you would use your holy word by your spirit to uh, instruct us and change us and transform us this morning um, for your glory and for our good. And God's people said, amen. Good morning. So I almost said in the first service that I bet you there's a Broncos game at 11 o'clock. There is, isn't there? Yeah, so all you Bronco haters, what are you doing here? Yeah, it's, uh, so if there's ever a doubt that, um, that people at Windsor Community Church are Broncos fans, I guess... You look at the, uh, the size of the first service when they play at 11. Um, so yeah, uh, we're ex- I'm excited to be here this morning. This is our third sermon in a sermon series that we've titled Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance. And uh, the first Sunday, two weeks ago, we gave an overview and an introduction to this uh, book on Blessed Assurance. And then last week, we uh, taught through verses 1 through 4, chapter 1. And uh, this book, the reason that we uh, titled this sermon series Blessed Assurance as we understand, um, as we have studied this and try to understand John's heart for writing this, um, is that he desires for the church to experience um, blessed, um, joyful confidence and assurance of who God is um, and who we are in Christ. He wants you to have confidence, if you know Jesus, that, that you are his and he is yours. Um, I mentioned um, the last two weeks that... Um, that Everybody falls into one of uh, four categories at different times in their life. Um, 
uh, or has at different times in her life that you're either an assured believer, you are a doubting believer. At times our, um, our doubt um, ebbs and flows because of trials in our life, because of um, um, uh, just wrong thinking, uh, uh, bad teaching. So assured, assured believer, um, um, doubting believer, um, false believer. Uh, Jesus spoke to that in uh, Matthew chapter 7. Um, and then um, a conscious unbeliever. Um, so we all fall into one of those four categories and just ask you to keep that um, at the forefront of your mind as we teach through this. Last week we talked about the, uh, the narrative, uh, the, the arc of the uh, narrative of Scripture is fellowship with God. It's relationship. It's communion with God. We were created for that. We were made in God's image, in His likeness, for a relationship with the triune God. It is the storyline of the Bible from the first page until the last page. And the Lord um, created us for that, and he desires that for us. John calls this fellowship, this relationship, he calls it fellowship. And we learned last week, too, that joy is found in fellowship with God. And that joy, if if we could say that uh, fellowship is the root, we can say that joy is the fruit. Um, that, um, jo- that fellowship is the fountainhead in which joy flows from. So fellowship is the root, joy is the fruit. Today, th- we're going to talk about walking in the light, walking in the light. And um, I've been afraid of dark for my childhood and maybe, maybe my early adult life. But I remember as a child going into my bedroom at night before bed and looking under the bed, um, looking in the closet for um, fear of what might be there at night. I didn't do that in the daytime. I did that at night. Um, most crimes, correct me, uh, Pat, if I'm wrong, that most, most crimes, uh, robbery and thievery happen either when people are gone or when it's dark, when it's night. Thank you. I got, a, I got a, one of those from, from my friend back there who knows better than the rest of you. That's why I asked him. <laughs> right, Pat? Okay. Um, the uh, dark um, hides things. Things can hide in the dark. Things like um, dust can be hidden in the dark. Um, you, uh, my wife was telling my, my wife who has cleaned houses most of her um, the, the last fifteen years. She tells me that um, she can um, dust the top of a dresser or a countertop um, when the curtains are closed, and then she can open the curtains, and there's the dust. It didn't really go away. And um, so, so dust can um, be seen in the light. Um, another thing that Nancy was sharing with me that I really was just edified by, and I'll share it with you as well. I know I share Nancy stuff, but um, like she's my greatest encourager. Um, she's my greatest mentor, my greatest spiritual advisor, my greatest uh, uh, pastor. She's a, like, could she be a pastor? My pastor as a woman? We don't have men pa- women pastors here. You're not my pastor, honey, but you're my friend and mentor. I love you. My wife, um, I'll stop right there. Um, but she, she says that when, when she's cleaning houses um, and she sees that dust that shows up in the light, she actually prays, God, would you show me? Would you show me anything that is hidden in me? Would you um, shine your light on me to expose um, the darkness of my heart, the sin in my heart? And I said, honey, I can help you with that. No, I don't say that. Um, but... But the, um, this morning, I was, um, I was up at 3.30 in the morning, and, um, and I go into the bathroom, and I flip on the light, and there was something there that wasn't there in the daylight the day before. You know what it was? It's a bloody moth. 
the word of moths come from this time of year, but light exposes moths that you can't, um, that you can't um, see in the daytime. Um, crickets are part of that as well. Um, nothing healthy grows in the dark. Flowers don't grow in the dark. Trees, fruits, vegetables. The kind of things that you want to grow require sunshine. Um, now, somebody came to me last service afterwards. There's always going to be somebody. And they said, well, I like mushrooms, and they grow in the dark. But then as we were talking, we would go, but they got to have compost around them to grow, and the compost has, needs light to grow. So there, so you wouldn't have mushrooms if it wasn't for light either. The things that grow in dark are mold spores and fungi and moss. The kind of growth you don't want is what you will find in secret, shady, dark places. Darkness is dangerous. Anything in your life that you are trying to keep a secret that is hidden in the dark is holding you back and will eventually bring you harm. It's walking in the darkness that has the potential to harm your fellowship with God and result in a complete loss of joy for a season. So I want to ask you this morning, brothers and sisters, are you walking in the light? Are you walking in the light today? Are you walking in the light this week? Are you walking in the light in this season of life? We're going to talk about what that actually uh, means. And to answer that question, how would you know? How do you know if you're walking in the light? And this is an important question because it's, it's walking in this light that we will actually experience the complete and fullness of joy that John talks about and that comes from fellowship as the root. So in order to answer this question, in order to take a look at this, the, the starting point where we've got to start with to, uh, to understand fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, the starting point for coming into that joyful fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, is to first understand and acknowledge the truth of the character or nature of God. We've got to start there. And John starts there in verse 5. He says, this is the message that we've heard from him, Jesus, and we proclaim to you, believer, that God is light, and in him, God, is no darkness at all. We must understand the nature of God. He, John reminds us, his readers, that the starting point and the path forward for joyful fellowship with God is understanding his character. God is light. God is light, and in him and around him, if I could add that, is no darkness, only purity or spotlessness, nothing evil, nothing sinful can be um, in God or around God. The Bible calls this holiness, that God is holy. And when we say God is holy, we're saying that he is pure or sinless or upright. We're also saying that he is set apart. He is unique from all things created. In his holiness or in his light, if you will, there can be no darkness. He is perfect and pure in every way and therefore cannot tolerate anything impure or unclean to approach him. All analogies of God's holiness fall short. But the best analogy I think that we have is the sun, actually. The best analogy we have for God's holiness is comparing his holiness to the sun. You could say the, the sun is holy. It's set apart. Um, you could say that the sun is like God and that it gives without light there is no life. 
light and energy that comes from the sun is limitless. But if you get too close to the sun, it'll annihilate you. And that is the same with God. If you get too close to God, like Moses at the burning bush, um, and you're not clothed, spoiler alert, in Christ's righteousness, you will be annihilated. God is light, and in him and around him is no darkness at all. Light and darkness cannot coexist because God is holy and pure and sinless and upright. We can, he can have nothing to do with anything unrighteous, sinful, or impure. Let's just go back to the garden just for a minute just to test this, that God created Adam and Eve in his likeness, in his image. He called it good. They were sinless at the moment of creation. He walked in fellowship with them, joyful fellowship in the cool of the garden. And they chose for a, a moment to walk in darkness rather than walk in the light, and they were forever separated from joyful fellowship with their creator. And that became the fate for all of humanity. To have fellowship with God, we must not only understand the nature of God, that he is holy, but also we must also understand the nature of man, our own nature. And it's an error, actually, uh, to not understand our nature because it's an error because it will, when we don't understand our nature, um, we will not enjoy the amazing experience, amazing joy of fellowship with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. So we need to understand um, our nature. And John describes the nature of man in verses 6, 8, and 10. And we're going to bounce around a little bit. We're going to talk about um, God, uh, man's nature in verse 6, 8, and 10. And then we're going to circle back to verse 7 and verse 9 to talk about God's provision for man's nature, how we can approach him. And my prayer is, is that these passages, as you reflect upon God's nature and your nature and what he did to uh, solve the problem, would cause you to leave today uh, in awe of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. If you remember um, why John is writing this, is that there is a fellowship in Ephesus and that there were um, some members that left that fellowship, including some leaders. And these leaders that have left the fellowship are propagating um, heresy. Uh, they're lying. And there's a word that, um, that uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones calls these people who left, and he calls them secessionists, S-E-S-S. And um, I'm probably, I might use that word, I might not, but I want to, what that means is it's somebody that has left a membership that has been a part of a family, been part of a church, and they left. They're called secessionists. Not cessationists, but secessionists. So, um, so apparently these, these people who left, these secessionists, claimed that they could be in fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, while at the same time walking in darkness. And the reason that we know that is in verse 6, John says, if we say or if we claim, apparently these people were claiming that they could have fellowship with God while they walked in darkness. And John says that they can't. They lie and they don't practice the truth. It's impossible to be in fellowship with the Father while walking in darkness. Walking in darkness is opposed to practicing the truth. And both of these are directional in nature. 
directional in nature, um, um, walking in the darkness and practicing the truth. It's not a one and done kind of deal. So whoever is in fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, will not walk in darkness. Let's just be reminded what fellowship is. Fellowship is a state of being connected and sharing a common direction and common interests. Think of two people um, walking down the road um, arm in arm um, with the same mind, same heart, same desires, same nature. Jesus says this in John chapter 8 verse 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If the end is joyful fellowship, if that is the the end, if that's the aim for every person created, if the end is joyful fellowship with our creator, and we're told that walking in darkness is opposed to this fellowship, we should probably understand what darkness means. Dick? lest we get confused, lest we maybe um, fall into false condemnation. Darkness in and by itself does not mean sin. It's actually, the, it's actually a realm. It is a kingdom with a ruler who is the God of this world, little g. It is a kingdom where it has a prince of power of the air. Darkness is a realm that Paul said that we need to wrestle with. It's Satan's kingdom. And Paul says this in Ephesians 5. Paul calls those who walk in darkness, he calls them sons of disobedience. And then he goes on to say this in chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. Therefore, do not become partakers with them, the sons of disobedience. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. You were darkness, now you are our light. Verse 9, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So here, just very simply, if you want to know whether you are um, walking in darkness or walking in light, one question to ask is a short question is, do I desire to please God? Do I desire to please the Lord. So Ephesians 5 describes darkness in the life of disobedience, sons of disobedience. And light, as I just said, is trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. It's actually on your mind. You actually think about it. God, how can I please you and glorify you in this relationship? How can I please you and glorify you in this sermon? How can I uh, glorify you in the midst of this particular conflict or this trial? The idea of walking in the light is that there is a desire to please the Lord. Let me say this. You've heard me say it a hundred times before. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. Is there a direction in your life where you have increasing desires to honor and glorify the Lord? And if there's not, um, talk to the Lord about it. What this actually means to to, um, walk in the light and have desires to please the Lord is ultimately loving God and loving other people. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, we, will, we were all born under this kingdom of darkness. And by, and by nature, we are citizens of that dark kingdom. Walking in the darkness represents everything that is opposed to God, everything that is opposed to his holiness and perfection, everything that is opposed to his desires for the world and man. Verse 8. This is the second error that those who left the fellowship are claiming. If we say or we claim that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, these people are saying that they no longer have a sin nature. Um, they have most likely put their faith and trust in Jesus' death on the cross for their sins, but they say we no longer have a sin nature. So when he says, if we say we have no sin, um, he's not making a reference to the act of sinning, but the very sin nature that produces the act of sin. These are people who say that once you become a Christian, you're delivered from your sin nature. There's no longer any sin in us. When we do something wrong, it's not me who sinned. It's my flesh, and I can't do anything about it. Or worse yet, the devil made me do it. And Paul refutes this in Galatians 6. He tells the believer, he says, don't walk according to the flesh. What's flesh? It's our sin nature. Don't walk according to the flesh. He says that the, that the spirit, uh, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Why would Paul tell the believer that your desires, your fleshly desires, your, um, your uh, natural desires, if you will, are against the spirit? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Paul refutes it again in Romans 7. And some of you um, have spent a lot of time in this passage. Um, some have come to the conclusion that this is Paul writing before he was converted. Um, I believe, and, and um, most um, commentators and most scholars that are much wiser than me believe that this is actually uh, Paul uh, testifying to his sin nature after redemption. And, um, and as I'm uh, I, can, I can relate with this every single day. Every day in my life, um, I say something similar to the Lord here in verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Anybody else? Anybody else that says, I want to act this way. And the next thing you know, you're not acting that way. That's what Paul is saying. Verse 19, for I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do want is what I keep, what I do not want is what I keep on doing. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. If we say we have no sin nature, we're deceived, John says, and the truth is not in us. If the truth was in us, the opposite happens. The truth of God's word bearing witness on our hearts uh, by God's spirit um, it's like a flashlight, that, that sh like, the, like the light coming on the dust that Nancy saw. It shows us our sinfulness. And praise be to God that we have his word and his spirit that convict us of sin. Somebody came up to me after one of the services last week. Um, 
and says, hey, yeah, she says, yeah, she says, a good sermon. I just, she says, I don't like it. Um, she wasn't correcting me. She was, I think, agreeing with me. I'm pretty sure. I need to email her and ask her. Um, but she said, it's, she says, I don't like it when people say that um, believers are sinners. She says, I think it's better to say that we are um, sinners, we're saints who sin. And I go, yeah, I think you're right, actually. Because our, um, the way that God sees us, clothed in Christ's righteousness, is that he sees us as holy and acceptable because of the great exchange. 2 Corinthians, for our sake, he who knew no sin became our sin so that we might become what? The righteousness of God. So it is good to say that we are not sinners, but we are um, saints who sin, but it is wrong to say that we don't still have a sin nature that we will one day be delivered from. And the third error that these cessationists made, they said this, they said that they, they claimed that they have not sinned. John says if we, verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, and the word is not in us. To sin, sin wasn't even originally a religious word. To sin in Hebrew means to fail or miss the mark or miss the goal. The secessionists are not only claiming that they don't have a sin nature anymore, they're saying that they're not even aware of any sin in their life. So they're either not conscious of their sin or they dismiss it uh, because they've already forgotten it or they don't take it seriously, one of those. It's one thing not to have any guilt or condemnation in our sinning, but it's quite another to say we don't sin. I think one of the ways that we uh, dismiss our sin today um, in the church, I know I've done this, you've probably done this, is to say something like, well, everybody's human. Yeah, yeah, I sin, but everybody's human. Or, or all in all, I'm not as bad as such and such. Or I'm not as bad as I could be. That's for sure. So John is telling us that if we don't realize that we sin and we don't repent from sinning and we don't know that our sin grieves God when we sin, then we're calling God a liar. So, so now we, John has reminded us that all who are children of light should not walk in darkness. All who are children of light um, still have a sin nature and we still sin even while we're walking in the light. So even though Jesus secured our fellowship, it was him who secured it, that if you know Jesus Christ, if, if he is in you and you are in him, you are forever secure, forever secure. There's nothing you can do that is bad enough for him to cut that cord. So even though Jesus secured yours and my fellowship or a relationship with himself, we have a part in that fellowship. I know that works away in my marriage anyways. Like it takes two to have fellowship. My wife has a role, a greater role, and I have a role. And here's our twofold role, and we can see it in verses 7 and 9. My end of the fellowship is loving God and loving people, walking in the light. And number two, is that when I stumble in the light, not in the dark, walking in the light with desires to please God, to love God and love people, when I stumble, when I fail, when I miss the mark, 
The other way that I have fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, is to confess my sin, is to agree with God that I sinned. Let's look at walking in the light. Again, walking in the light is simply and profoundly desiring to love God and love people. Verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light doesn't mean we don't sin. And it doesn't mean that when we sin, our fellowship with the Lord has come to a grinding halt. I'll talk about this in a minute. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Just having a little conversation here. It does affect our relationship, though. When, when I sin, um, positionally, I'm always the Father's. He's mine. I'm His. It's the same with the marriage. Um, I wear this ring as a reminder of me being Nancy's and Nancy being mine. It's worked for 39 years. I praise God for that because it's all God's grace. But there are times, believe it or not, when our relationship gets upside down. Where I sin against her, she sins against me. We don't confess our sins to one another. We don't forgive one another. And even though positionally I'm hers and she's mine, our relationship, our intimacy, our fellowship is harmed. And it works the same way with the Lord. When we walk in the light, we become more aware of our sin. Light exposes the hidden things of the darkness. Light does that. It reveals things that we're not even conscious of. Walking in the light is a desire to please God. I can't say it enough. And when we desire to please or love God, we are more aware of our failures to love Him. If you're not aware of your sin, if I'm not aware of my sin, I can tell you what's missing is that there's no significant desire to love God and to love people. Because when we start living that way, we just see, um, we just see how often we fall short. So walking in the light exposes our sin. So when, not if, the light exposes or convicts us of sin, what shall we do? So if the, the light shines on us, the light of, of God's Spirit through God's Word, God's Word through God's Spirit, when, that, when we're convicted of sin, what shall we do? Sin can bring about all kinds of doubts and insecurities. Our sin opens up the door for Satan to condemn us and to lie to us and to call us guilty and tell us that God could never love you or forgive you. Verse 7 tells us what to do. He reminds us of the blood of Jesus, his son, that cleanses us from all sin. Remember, he says that the blood of Jesus, his death, that's what blood is. It's death. It's his death that cleanses us from all sin. And if you, if you um, are allowed to write in your Bible, all sin, circle it, that he has forgiven you as far as the east is from the west of sins yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Colossians says that he has canceled the debt that you owed. 
So first thing you do when God convicts you of sin is you run to that cross. You run to that cross and you remind yourself that it has all been covered by the shed blood of Jesus. And then in addition to our spirit-empowered effort to walk in the life, in the light, um, and confessing, our, we're to confess our sins. We walk in the light, uh, we stumble, we miss the mark, we run to the cross and go, thank you, Lord, thank you that you've covered it all. Next thing we do, verse 9, is we agree with God. We confess our sins. It says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confessing our sins means simply to agree with God that you missed the mark. To agree with God that you didn't love him, you didn't love others. Confessing here is present tense and ongoing. Yes, uh, when we come to faith, one of the first things that God does is he convicts us of our sin, that we have a sin nature, that we can't approach a holy God. And we say, God, we are, we are sinners and we need you for, for our salvation. Uh, we need the great exchange. We need you to take our sin and we need to be clothed in your righteousness. But it is an ongoing present tense that confessing is the lifeblood of a believer. It's what we do as we move forward walking in the light. David modeled this in Psalm 32. David said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in, in whose spirit there is no deceit. You can overlay that Psalm 32, 1 and 2 over verse 7, that we've been cleansed, that we've been forgiven by the shed blood of Christ. And in verses 3 through 5 in Psalm 32, for when I kept silent, when I didn't confess my sins, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. If you are lacking joy in your relationship with Jesus Christ, the first thing to do is say, God, shine the light of your word through your spirit on my heart and show me if there is any evil way in me. You see, he has wired us so that we cannot live joyful lives. We cannot enjoy fellowship with him. When there's, un, when there's hidden, unconfessed sin in our heart. And he is waiting there. He's waiting there daily. And he's waiting for you to come again. And come and confess, Daddy, I did it again. And let him help you up. Pat you on the bottom. And say, let me help you do it again. But we confess our sins. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, David says. And I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And John says this in verse 9, when we do this, when we confess our sin that way, he says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This isn't a, um, a scenario like I grew up in where every time that you sin, you've got to go into the confessional, slide back the thing, and confess your sin and put Jesus back on the cross. 
He has forgiven all sins once and for all. So John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Um, He is faithful first. What he's saying here is remember the cross. Look back at verse 7 and reminded that he has already forgiven you. And he is faithful to that promise. Second, he is just. God is a God of justice. Do you have like a three-year-old that needs to confess something, Josh? Okay. He is just. God is a God of justice. He must punish all sin. He is faithful to his promise to forgive those who put faith in his sacrifice, his death on the cross, and he is a God of justice. He is just because he must punish all sin, and he exercised this justice by sacrificing Jesus for our sins for your sake. You and I who knew no, who knew, what is it? For our sake, he who knew no sin became our sin so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. He punished our sin. Jesus took the wrath that we deserved upon himself. Then God did something for me which he alone can do. And that is to give me complete joy through the reminder of his forgiveness and fellowship with me. So brothers and sisters, this book of 1 John that we're just getting warmed up in is to give you blessed assurance. And my prayer is is that um, when we um, lack assurance, when we lack joy in our assurance, that we would help one another to diagnose like what's going on? Like what's going on? Um, what, what lies of the enemy are you believing? Um, is there any unconfessed sin? Is there anything in your heart that the Lord wants to cleanse you from? And here we are. I did this first service too. It's early. Don't get used to it. Questions, what shall we say about all this? There's a response to God's word. For, for every one of us here today, there's a response. Are you walking in the light? Do you have a desire to please him, to love him, and to love others? When you stumble, when you miss the mark, are you listening more to the lies of the enemy Or are you listening to one who is faithful to his promises when he said it is done? That there's no more wrath for you. You see, it's walking in his light that we experience the fullness of joy in fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And make no mistake, God calls us to be holy as he is holy, but we're never going to be purely holy until we're in heaven. So right now, standing on his word, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's about direction, not perfection. And one day we'll be perfect. One day there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more suffering. And today we get to um, celebrate this glorious truth um, with communion. And Jesus said that, or Paul said that we're to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. 
We should never get tired of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't care if you've been a Christian since you were five or six months. It's our lifeblood. That his shed blood is our lifeblood. So we're going to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this, speaking of the, the communion table. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. I've stayed away from this passage in introducing communion. And I probably need to uh, seek forgiveness for that. Because I come from a, a background that is so works-oriented that, that until I understood it, I didn't even want to go anywhere near there. What, what he's not saying here is that you can't take the elements. You can't participate in, participate in fellowship with him. Let me, let me back up. What he's not saying is you, that, you are, um, that he's cut the cord. You need to repent, you need to confess so that you can be back in the fellowship with him. What he's saying is, is that when we come up and remember Jesus' um, broken body and shed blood for the remission of our sins, if we come to that table without asking God to examine us, it's an offense to the gospel. Let me read what it says. Verse 28, let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so can I just um, encourage you all um, to um, ponder the Lord's words here in 1 John 5 through 10. And um, allow him to search your heart. Allow him to uh, ask God, is there any dust in my heart? that is keeping me from joyful fellowship with you. And God, if there is, would you, would you show that to me? Because I want to be in a right relationship with you. I want to experience the fullness of joy that you created me for. But at the same time, remember that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And sometimes when we hang on to that truth, that now there is no condemnation, we don't allow the Spirit of God to convict us. So can I encourage you here in your seats between you and the Lord, is ask the Lord to search you and to know you and to see if there's any wicked way in you. Confess it to him. Know it's already forgiven and freely come up and celebrate and remember his shed blood and his broken body on the cross for you and I. Um, after you take the elements, just go back to your seats. Um, enjoy it together one-on-one. Um, -on -one. If you want to do it as a family, do that. And then the worship team's going to come up and lead us in song.
You thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy and life. 